Hello and welcome to Campfire Conversations, stories from the center of the universe, where we bring the stories from our campfire to your ears, wherever you are in the world. Here we chat to friends over a favorite drink, enjoy the crackle of the fire, and let the real stories of life in the bush be told. Let's get talking to some bushveld legends and hear about their finest hours, the moments that made them question it all and what keeps them coming back for more. So here we are, welcome back to another episode of Campfire Conversations, coming to you live from the Klaseri Private Nature Reserve. This morning we have moved location and we are under Big Jack, a massive jackalberry tree. This is where we have picnics, where we hang out, it's a very special place, it has an aura. Uh, this tree is probably, you know, everybody comes and asks, it's got to be 400 odd years old. And this morning we've arrived here and when we've jumped out of the Land Cruiser, there's a leopard track coming through. Um, and as we follow this leopard track through the river sand here at Big Jack, where some of you may even have had a breakfast, um, it looked quite fresh. We got to Big Jack at the base of the tree and she's urine sprayed there, this female leopard. And the urine is still dripping off the leaves. It's very, very fresh. We went down into the river, had a brief look around, um, and are sitting here now, and there's a leopard somewhere very close by to us. You could smell that buttered popcorn of the urine, so that's pretty cool, and uh, that's what we love. Anyway, on to more important things. Here we are, I have two guests this evening, who, this morning, share a history in the bush. In fact, this very bush, the Klaseri, the Greater Kruger, both are linked forever to the Lofelt, having spent the vast majority of their lives on these game trails tracking in these riverbeds, sleeping under these stars, and telling stories around campfires. Finally, we have them here together to tell us a story or two about their eventful lives around this campfire, and we are so happy to put it on record to share with the world. It is a pleasure to introduce you to today's guests, both of whom you might know by their legendary reputations, and one you will know already from this podcast. John Dixon is a repeat offender, and we couldn't be happier to have him back for round two. Troy Mise is our neighbor here in Klaseri and a Campfire Conversations virgin. And all three of us are actually connected through Transfrontiers Wildlife Walking Safaris, which Troy's parents, Judy and Bruce, started and operated in the Greater Kruger in the 90s and early 2000s. It's actually crazy. We've got some mad symmetry. Um, Troy, JD and I, kind of three different, not generations, but uh, periods apart all doing the same thing along the same path. It's it's pretty awesome and actually mad the three of us all here this weekend together. It's a, mm. it's a blast, hey? Yeah, it's yeah. special. It Lovely. really is. So, yeah, cool to have you guys here. Here we are under Big Jack, hey? Thanks for having us. Oh, thanks, Rich. And TC, good to see you too. Yeah, good to see you too. <laughs> We've been missing you up in bots for a little while. Yeah, that was quite an epic five months yeah. um, in, the, in, in the insane Mopane, the Mopani. Um, very rare trees, hardly see any. You know? <laughs> but it was hectic. Yeah. It was heavy rains, biggest rains since 2016. Wow. Rose rivers, um, massive delays and challenges. Uh, but yeah, it was good fun. Fantastic. Yeah, it's been a good season good all back. around. Eh? Mm. Mm. So JD's just, uh, JD was actually here at Tulela. Um, four and a half months ago helping us on the project and is here now to spend uh, 
five months putting together a lodge in Botswana. And that's his speciality. Some of you would have seen the steamy picture on Instagram that we had yesterday. And uh, actually our great friend Mark Riddle wrote in and he said, J.D. whispers in the sands are that khaki fever was at its peak in the 80s. Is this coincidence? <laughs> I think not. Mala Mala rules, we used to call it, eh? Yeah, correct. That picture, if you haven't seen this picture of J.D., you need to go check it out. Uh, not, not, nothing wrong with a bit of plastic surgery when you're young, you know. It was very interesting times. Thank you very much for that little chirp there. But uh, yeah, very interesting times with very tight shorts and long blonde hair and uh, beads and bangles and the whole show, you know. It was... Uh, Trying to look handsome. Uh, you were telling us last <laughs> night you actually know uh, somebody who did a game drive with no shirt on. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that, awesome. yeah, exactly. Really. <laughs> Just some background for those of you who don't know JD, he calls himself a 1960s model, and like a fine wine, he really does get better with age. His life and experiences among wildlife in the bush have both aged him and kept him young. Natal born, formative years in Zimbabwe, then Matabili land. In 1979, he was working in the Sabi sands around the formation of the original Sabi Sabi, simultaneously also on farming projects and doing military service. Professionally involved in safari guiding, elephant and leopard research projects, game capture, wildlife filming and photographic work. And he sings, a talent we were lucky enough to witness over the last few days more than once, as well as previously on this podcast. He's worked in the Sabi Sands, Timbavati, Klaseri, Manyaleti, the Waterberg, Luango in Zambia, Botswana, Mozambique, Zimbabwe and even Nigeria. Now, JD has a theory that Franklins always move out of the way of a moving vehicle. We have an audience member and previous podcast guest, Kevin Mack, who would like to know, have you ever been proved wrong on this theory? Several times. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that question. Yeah, just as always when you think you know something. Uh, it proves you completely wrong. <laughs> so there was a couple of Franklins that ended up volunteering for the three-legged pot. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, just while we honored Mark Riddle, main man, best tracker of the rollers, he said, why were you half a minute faster than Hawley to chamber when that pissed lion charged? That Maposa was one eye. Yeah, there, wasn't that an epic little encounter? Yeah. Do you remember that? Eh? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was because I shat myself. Jamie <laughs> <laughs> no, was so fast, man. It? Yeah. No, it was, it was an epic encounter. It, uh, it stands out firmly in my, my memory and mind as one of the, the finest uh, little encounters uh, mm. in, in all aspects. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, it, it'll remain firmly in my heart and mind for a long time. It was everyone it was, was there. <laughs> firmly in your heart and yeah, in the Andes. Yeah, and in the, in the yeah the little brown stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was hectic. Some brown adrenaline there. But JD chambered that weapon from the back of the line. I still didn't even know what was in the bush. <laughs> well, I actually thought it was a hippo, but it was a male line. Man, they were mating pair in this bush. We'd gone past them, surrounded by water on both sides. Walked into quite a thick area mm. looking for a bird, orange-breasted bushrock, which was calling. So, yeah, like hard. And I was in the front of the line. And there was a peninsula, also a lot of rain that year. Well, it was actually in the dry period, but yeah. the dam was full. Yeah. And we'd come in and this male and female line were in the bush. So we'd actually gone past right them. Bottom. And when we we're coming back, now they're like, why are these guys coming back past? Because we'd got to water. Man. <laughs> <laughs> this bush erupted. I thought it was a hippo coming out of it. I didn't even know what was going on. JD had a weapon pointed. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> man, we were pumped off to it. Yeah, it was just a big adrenaline rush. Gets yeah, those knees trembling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exciting stuff. That's no, it is. So yeah, let is. me introduce TC while he's here. Troy Courtney Mieser arrived in the Manialeti soil in the 90s as a baby. His safari pioneering parents had started Kokomoya and Honey Guy Tented Camp. There was no way Troy wasn't going to lead a life in the bush, given his background. And in fact, he and his sister are incredible guides working in the Bushveld neighborhood in which they were raised. We've been told that the only way Troy could be prevented from straying down the path and out of camp into the dangerous Bushveld was to hang a black bag in a tree, which looked ominously like a baboon, something young Troy was afraid of. I was terrified of those bloody things. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> a lioness came to investigate the sound of Troy's baby sister Sabre crying once, and the family stayed inside for hours while the lioness sniffed around the house. Troy has guided all over Africa, including many trips as an overland guide Namibia, Tuli, Chobi, Zimbabwe, Kafui, Luangwa, and right here in the Greater Kruger, where he's now based at Tuskers with his business partner and friend Brave Dave Hancock. Troy's been a river guide on the Zambezi and came to know an enormous crocodile called Mugabe. <laughs> uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Troy is a purebred bush boy who has also dabbled in seafaring activities. We heard this story the other night. I've got a few, man. I need. I want to know about this crocodile. They talk about here. Uh, Troy and a fellow guide went fishing in the Chongwe River. Myself and Joseph, yeah, jeepers. That Tell us exciting. about that, man. Sure. Well. Being in the, in the valley, I mean, we kind of have limited resources. You're pretty far out from everything else. So the season tends to drag on for a little bit long. So you get a bit tired of your weekly, monthly, yearly lunches, which ends up being like some huku and pup, some chicken and pup the whole time. So you get a bit fed up. So between game drives, myself and Joseph decided, okay, sweet, time to pack those bream rods. And let's mix it up a little bit and go for some chow or try and go and catch some chow. Ended up going past some of our uh, mates that were currently in a lion sighting and headed further upriver along the Chongwe River, which is kind of deceiving because you think it's going to be quite a chilly river because it gives the impression of this sort of Dalstrom mountainous sort of cold pebbles, uh, stone rivers, but the temperature is like 30 degrees Celsius, so it's beautiful. So we headed up to Red Cliffs on one of the corners um, and yeah, proceeded to start fishing and started hauling out some bream. And as per usual, the place is flooded with ellies, so, um, and the river is just completely packed with crocs and hippos. So we found a nice high bank where we thought we were pretty safe, um, parked the vehicle on the other side, walked across the shallow section, and then I found a nice little spot to fish. And um, as usual, breeding herd of ellies came down about 30, 40 meters away from us, upriver of us, had a drink there, didn't really think too much of it. Um, it was pretty much the usual business going on. And uh, so they they decided, okay, they pooled water and then did a bit of a nice U-turn around us into the Jess bush. Uh, so we carried on fishing. And then next thing we know, we see this little piccanini coming over the horizon and coming down to drink. Obviously, he had broken away from the herd a little um, and playing a bit of catch-up. Came down to the water, saw us, got a bit curious, proceeded to come a bit closer. And mom walked over the horizon, checked us uh, with baby in between and decided, okay, Wheat, you guys, you're gonna get it. Hectic. And um, vocalized and then just dropped the head and came straight for us. And Joseph chucked his tackle box at it. But then we what? thought, okay, sweet, hold your ground, hold your ground, hold your ground. We only really had one or two options. 
stay and hold ground or jump off this cliff into some crocodile infested waters and pretty much Jesus Christ lizard across to the other side and uh, try and get to our vehicle. I was wearing some plackies, like very informal, no t-shirt, bream rod in hand, bucket of fish, some earthworms, um, Joseph basically the same thing and uh, she got to literally where JD is sitting from me now which is about a meter away and we had no option so douche into the water we go and literally I don't even think I touched the water but I lost my pluckies somehow in the course of that got to the other side your heart is just fluttering like a hummingbird um, going completely nuts jumped in the vehicle because this this elephant just decided no she's coming for us so she came off of this three meter bank into the water myself and Joseph get to that side Joseph is he was, his heart was going so fast, he had peed his pants. But we had that hysteric sort of laughter going wow. on. You know, you're almost having a panic attack, but you think it's so funny. So we, we climb in this landy, chuck the fishing rods in. I've still got a bucket of worms in my hand for some other reason. But I'm trying to change gears with this bucket of worms. I'm like, chuck it away. And we go hauling down the road because this uh, Ellie is coming for us. And we forgot completely about um, our mates that were in a in this line sighting with the clients. So if you can picture this, there's two oaks, no shirts on, um, hauling down the road, fishing rods with floats in tow, still like dragging in the wind like kites, banging it down the road with this elephant losing its mind behind us, trumpeting like wild. So those lines got pretty boring for those guests when they turned around. They were looking at us coming down this river bank, hauling us. <laughs> Managed to get away from it, got That's back to camp. insane. Completely soaked, adrenaline starting to calm down a bit, oh. Oh. and uh, yeah, no, it was a good laugh. Ended up going back trying to look for my plackies, but they were long gone. Um, but yeah, <laughs> what a story! <laughs> was was an interesting one. That's, that's for sure. a story, man. Yeah, that was that was one of the closer ones. Wow, that's scary. Yeah. It was a bit scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great, man. Really. <laughs> it was a proper. While one. we on it, I mean, last night you told a horrific story. For me, it was scary. I want to. I want that story again. <laughs> okay. Well, a different sort of type of encounter um, that I had. Like typically, when you think of wildlife encounters or anything that you think is sort of dangerous, you're always thinking large and in charge or something with teeth and that can mm. growl and snarl and be a little scary. Um, usually related to the big five, but. Uh, on one hot December summer's night, as one knows, with the humidity pumping up to close to 100% and just hitting dew point, just about a break with those clouds. Um, leaving the stable doors yeah. open of one of the units at Nzuti in the Klaseri. Um My folks were out on game drive. My sister and I were lying on our beds, fan pumping, um, door open, and ironically watching a horror movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which sounds ridiculous when I say it. Um, so just lying in bed watching this, this horror movie. And being December, you think, okay, well, you've got tons of insects around. And I thought I had like a Christmas beetle that had just landed on my shoulder. Um, and uh, felt a bit of weight on my shoulder. Didn't think too much of it. I was holding my phone in both hands. And uh, this weight con uh, continuously started getting a bit heavier. And for some another reason, I had like the mindset to have a bit of a look in the reflection of my phone. And I managed to see, okay, I've got a, I've got a snake on my shoulder now. 
while lying in so bed. So you were actually still awake? Yeah, I was still awake. I was watching. I was, I was very awake. This movie was terrifying. <laughs> and it got even more terrifying. Uh, proceeded to get rather scary in real life too. Because I realized that the snake that was on my shoulders wasn't just any snake. It happened to be a Mozambican spitting cobra. But I only realized that once it came over my shoulder onto my chest and then onto my cheekbone where I had a bit of peripheral vision and managed to see a bit of the, the face of the snake um, oh, as well as using shit. my phone. And thanks to Garth Edwards and many of the guides back in the early days working through wildlife encounters, I had been educated quite well in snakes and snake handling and what to do in those situations. Mm. But naturally my body just froze um, and my sister's bed was only about 30 centimeters away from me so I didn't want to panic and luckily I didn't and it, it managed uh, it slid off of me and then dropped between the two beds and I basically levitated into the bathroom <laughs> um, and then just stood there and my sister was looking at me like I'm a freak because she's what's going on but she's wearing earphones so I was just staring at her while well, she thought I was staring at her but I was actually looking at the snake on my pillow yeah. which was very close to her so I didn't say anything but then luckily it dropped back down again and I just grabbed her by the legs ripped her off the bed laptop went flying and she proceeded to stand up and then punch me in the shoulder a couple of times, going, what the hell? I uh, turned her around and showed her what was lying on our pillow. And then she understood. Um, and then my folks had just about pulled into the driveway. I walked outside, obviously being in bed, my feet, I didn't have any shoes on. Walked outside and I missed a parabuthus by about 10 centimeters. And I was like, sure, okay, tonight's a bit hectic. <laughs> Things are going off here. A parabuthus is a deadly scorpion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been a very unpleasant evening for me in in many ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I also thought, okay, I've gotten away with death about twice in one evening. Um, got both of these dangerous creatures, <laughs> yeah. one inside, one just outside. And uh, just let the snake go, hey? Let it um, make its way through the bedroom. It probably hung around for about another 15 minutes and worked its way along the walls and out the door it went. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think karma played his part. Luckily, I'm still here. Yeah. Jeez. Mozambique spitting cobra on your cheek. Yeah. There's probably some people who will think about that when they go to bed after listening to this. So. <laughs> yeah, sleep well, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like snakes, it's too late now. Yeah, yeah. sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. That is crazy. That's yeah, a hectic story, man. Jeez, mm. it's horrific. Okay, while, you, while we got you going... Tell us about uh, this doomed trip from Seychelles to Perth. Oh, geez, like, that's another one. <laughs> I just sound like I've got horror stories the whole time. Yes. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I think, when did it kick off? I'd worked in Mozambique just after school, about 2010, finished matric, um, worked in Mozambique in a little Portuguese restaurant for a while, came back home after about a year, and just, well... When I was at school, I really did, wanted to go fishing and be on the ocean. I loved the ocean. Mm. It was either the bush or beach for me. And decided that I wanted to pursue a bit of a yachting career. Did my yachting course at PYT in Durban. Um, and then literally two days after completing the course, one of my folks, well, my dad's old rangers, called me up and said, well, I've got this ocean charter that we need to do, delivery of a little 45-foot catamaran. Um, can you meet me? And I was like, sweet, let's do this. Yeah. Met him so in Pretoria. He said, okay, sweet, we're delivering this yacht from the Seychelles to, I think it was Cairns or Perth, something like that, in Aussie. Um, landed in the Seychelles. Um, it was blisteringly hot and humid. It was crazy. You stepped out the plane and you were just sweating. Mm. 
um, got to the yacht, the guys that were supposed to be looking after the yacht and, and taking charters ended up turning it into a, basically a workshop and uh, literally had a whole bunch of refrigerators on the teak deck. So they got fired <laughs> and uh, we got sent there to clean up the yacht and get it ready and prep for, for taking it across um, on this ocean journey. And to, to cut a little bit through that, um, during that time period there was quite a bit of Somalian activity off of the, the Seychelles <laughs> coastline. So it just... A little piracy <laughs> on the way. A bit of piracy, I mean like, these are things that they forget to mention when you paid for your ticket already <laughs> and you like have just arrived oh by the way there's some pirates off our coastline wow great um prep the yacht get ready to set sail we spent about a month in the seychelles getting it ready it was loads of fun what an experience mm. um and it was supposed to take us i think two weeks to get across to um the maldives to refuel restock get chow and head mm. off um and uh, the first three days, I was rather green, I won't lie. <laughs> I, I, I was pretty, I prided myself as a bit of a deep sea fisherman, but uh, yeah, clearly not. After, th after three days on, yeah, no, I wasn't feeling the greatest. Diesel fumes in a rough ocean does that. But yeah, the first couple of days went pretty well. Everything was cool. I was fresh out of my yachting course, so still a newbie. Warwick was making me run around like a crazy person. And... Um, I think about we we got about to the tenth or eleventh day, and we hit some pretty bad weather. I think we crossed the um, what's it the, what, into the northern hemisphere and back into the southern hemisphere, the equator, about twenty-seven times or something. Hectic. Warwick was telling us after your first equator crossing, you got to shave your head, and I was like, well, this is getting pretty pointless. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how many times I'm shaving my head more than my beard now? This is just stupid. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so we hit some rough seas. We sport, uh, we tore one of our spinnaker sails, um, and the currents were just working against us. So we, and uh, things were looking pretty dire at this stage. And we weren't too far from the Seychelles to get back within a short period of time. Started running low on diesel and things. <laughs> um, but yeah, after a few satellite phone calls to the Lolly Jackson-like figure we were working for. <laughs> um, we then really quickly realized that we, we're not going to be allowed to go back to the Seychelles. Jeez. So, a few more phone calls to like the Maldivian Coast Guard. I think we were about 300 nautical miles offshore still. Jeez. So you had to be within a certain amount to get assistance. Um, we, were, we just oh. needed a bit of diesel <laughs> to carry on our journey since the winds weren't working with us. So, we tried radioing a few... Uh, ships in the sort of shipping lane heading across in that direction uh language barriers kind of prevented mm. that so that was quite no interesting ways. Mm. and uh then we decided okay well let's just try and wait it out uh, we drifted in at sea for about three days uh, making anchors out of like you get these big bucket anchors so it just kind of slows you creates drag yeah but i mean it was about i think it was about three k's four k's deep the ocean so yeah. like there's no dropping an anchor or anything like that yeah um, food was starting to look a bit on the, the low side, the low side. there was some tin fish and maybe like a couple tuna that we had left and some tuna noodles uh, had a bit of diesel didn't want to use that because we needed that for the water maker 
And then you know you know that things are getting a bit stressful when your captain's walking around pulling his hair, but he doesn't have any. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but Warwick managed to keep us all sort of in check. He did a very good job of that. He made it seem like everything's going to be hunky dory, which somehow it was. But I mean, at that stage, you just start giggling because you're like, oh, what's Jeez. happening next? Mm. And then, yo, by the grace of the gods, we got some good wind on the third day. Flat, beautiful ocean. And managed to get to the Maldives and yeah, literally dived onto the soil, kissed the sand, <laughs> restocked with fuel, like loaded an extra 800 liters into the into the yacht, yeah, um, and on board the yacht, and just yeah, stayed there for a little bit, and then we proceeded towards Thailand, and we had a few more adventures along the way. We had a fire in the engine room, uh, one of the yachts. Uh, sails our main sail tour mm. and one of the ropes wrapped around the prop so it was a bit of a exciting day going under the the hull or the, the bow of the boat and then cutting off the that uh, the rope they wrapped around the prop but it was amazing it was so clear it felt like i was in space because it's four k's deep but you can see everything everything is magnified oh. it's beautiful no way and the rays just pushing through down into the ocean and no yeah, it was an incredible journey Got to, eventually got to Thailand, um, and we had a bit of a dry boat before that, so cracked our first beers, <laughs> and then proceeded to crack a few more beers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, all in all, it was a very exciting trip, um, quite sketchy. <laughs> uh, luckily, when I got back, there wasn't another trip lined up. I got actually offered a job in Zambia, and then proceeded to head that way. Hectic. Yeah. Wow, a nice man. adventure, eh? Absolutely. Oh, a nice adventure, do you see? That is a real adventure. Mm. Jeez. Um, you said you didn't see land uh, for how many days? I think it was about 38 or something like that. Wow. Yeah. No, it was always mental. Yeah. And you just it you is. just realize how tiny you are. You're this small little pinprick in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a 45 meter, well, 45 foot yacht is only about 15 meters long. There was only three of us on board as well. So, mm. as you can imagine... Trying to get away from each other after a while is quite tricky. Mm. If somebody's sitting in the engine room, somebody's standing on the bow, and the other one just about climbing the sail. Mm. <laughs> Jeez. Yes, yeah. that's wow. crazy, man. That was good fun, hey? Oof, and, and, I don't know if I can do that. Too. And, and then you've all yeah. remained friends since. Yeah, I think we got we got even closer once we had touched the land, but at yeah. some stages I think each one of us wanted to Box. push each other overboard. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was fantastic. Wow, that's insane, man. It really is. Okay, so you went back to Zambia. Let's come back to the bush. Um, what does the Klaseri mean to you? Your Klaseri's home, eh? I mean, we've been in the Klaseri since about 2002. Mm. 2000, 2002? Yeah. When Tuskers was around. Yeah. Um, Tuskers tented camp. Um, and yeah, those were the, the early days. Out this end, at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just meant like family bush unity just love tranquility peacefulness yeah everything that you could ever want yeah um and yeah this is just what i know yeah jd i mean what is it you know you've been everywhere these private reserves in on the western boundary of kruger obviously offer a whole load and you've spent a load of time in the classeri i mean what makes the classeri special and um so your impressions of tulela after having been here four and a half months ago 
Yeah, interesting uh, question that uh, Brett. I mean, <clears throat> you know, obviously every for me, um, Klaseri, like every other reserve uh, and region and wilderness area, every, every place has its own special place of magic, if you like. You understand? So, um, I have some tremendously fond memories of of the most amazing animal sightings and wildlife encounters and sightings here in the Klaseri. Yeah. Uh, through all the big game and of course and of course lovely walking uh, you know um, sort of walks and trails in the bush here and of course all oh, the old history i mean it's a, it's a reserve that has got a lovely history um, you know when you look back at the history of the areas Kasiri was very remained really underdeveloped from a, a camp point of view mm-hmm. for most of the the time whereas the, you know the Sabi sands of course developed very quickly uh, Timbavati was also fairly quiet in those years in terms of camp, the number of different camps, you understand. Mm. So, so you had this much bigger, more wild feel of an area, you understand. So, and space and 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 and, 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 and area to play in, you understand. Uh, Tulela, um, you know, I have a, I have a very special place in my heart for Tulela right mm. from the beginning, you know, and, and you know. To me, uh, what you guys have achieved here as a team um, from my last time with you here uh, has blown me away. Um, you know, the, the, the finishes, the standards, the style, um, the interiors, the design, the layout, uh, and of course having good old and, uh, Duncan and Pervy and mm-hmm. all the old team members and things like that as well make a huge difference. A nice fish eagle calling in the back. Yeah. Beautiful. Fantastic. So, yeah, you know, and, and you know, the, the, it's always wonderful. For me, Tulela has, is, 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 has, a, has a very soulful feel. And, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's really, it's, it's a family place, a great place to, as an exclusive kind of use camp to bring family. You come yeah. and spend, you know, time with family and friends as a, as a group. Um, the star deck is, a, is is mind blowing. I'm looking forward to having a crash out there tonight. Yes. Um, after our leopard encounter there yesterday, which yes. was quite fun. After tracking the Thomas Malmos yesterday, you know. So yeah. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, that was quite fun. You know, we, there, there was about I think probably about 145 years worth of uh, <laughs> le- bush expertise all on the on the yes. back of the van yesterday, the Land Cruiser. And uh, we were all waffling around. And James up front said that was so cool. Like, <laughs> it was all these awesome. Guys there was a lot of bits going on there yeah. and the teamwork. So there was this, you were talking about collaboration more so as yeah. well. Yeah. So there was some collaborative tracking and trailing going on yesterday, which was quite fun, you know. So, And um, yeah, and then good old Jonty, all six foot seven of him, uh, was <laughs> sitting at the back uh, and he spotted the blimey thing uh, at the side of underneath it in the shade while, as we were going up towards the star deck. So that was epic. That was actually a quite a fun. Flipping uh, awesome. It was, was lovely. John T is on our previous podcast episode. Big up, John T. John T. <laughs> Champion. <laughs> yeah, what an experience, you know. And I think for me, that's also the Clasiri has this wild feeling to it, and and the opportunity to go out just yourselves. Obviously, yesterday it was a great team of people, mm. and and to track a male leopard and find it. Yeah. You know, and to go from the beginning of that experience to the end is just incredible. You know, it really, really is. There's no better feeling uh, than the thrill of the chase. Hey? Mm. Um, that's what we live for. And I think what James was saying was to see the enthusiasm and the passion of these guys. Like, you know, it's amazing that a leopard track can make you feel like Oh, that. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. There's no better thrill like this morning when we jumped off here. And we, you know, when you yeah. said, look at this urine, I was like, wow, yeah. that is so yeah. cool. There's also some croc- a lot of crocodile tracks behind us from during the night. He's come out of this 
a big dam and being along the edge we found the feces which was interesting to see and i don't know he's, he's digging there i don't know what mm -hmm. he's after like underneath he digging, yeah anyway very interesting um i've got a at that game ranger guy the most beautiful guide in the classeri although that's not saying much mm. um <laughs> sent in a question he said jd i want to i've heard from brett but i want to know about the man tracking experience that brett duncan and jd had towards the end of last year when we lost Rookie. Oh, yes. Good God, I'd forgotten about that. Good God, <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, bloody hell. Oh, no. Why did we ever try and find him? <laughs> <laughs> we should have left him to survive. Naked and afraid. <laughs> God, I'd forgotten about that, eh? Yeah. Oh, geez, that was a saga, eh? It was a saga, man. We're almost about to bring in the, uh, bring names in out the reconnaissance it. teams and yeah. you know, special forces and SAS and whatnot. Good God, it was a saga, that. Mm. I think you should tell the story. It's much better, probably better than me. You think so? Yeah, you tell that story. That was well, a young man yeah. uh, leaves Potch of Strum about nine hours away from here early one That's morning, right. oh, yeah. coming to work for us in our maintenance team. <laughs> he was a boiler maker by profession. Young, must have been 22 or so. Um... Potchestrum, so this explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Halfway through the day, I had a message from him. He's having car problems and he'll probably be a little bit late. Mm. And um, at 7 o'clock that evening, he probably should have been getting to the camp by then. Mm. He phoned from Hootsbrae to say he's just actually getting some KFC and he will be at camp a little later. And we were working very hard at that time. And yeah. as a young man, I thought he can look after himself. He'd actually been to the camp before, so I didn't see any issues, and I went to bed. And uh, so did uh, JD. And, you know, he's big enough and brave enough to look after himself, and he knows where it is. He'll find, you know, he'll arrive, get yep. in his room, sleep, and we'll connect with him in the morning. It was, he was coming to start uh, employment with us. Yeah. And, jeez, uh, I mean, it must have been very early in the morning mm. that I think you were at my house. Yeah, I think I was. you messaged me. Yeah. Or you were actually at the door with mm. a cup of coffee saying, so-and-so, we'll call him Sierra, <laughs> hasn't actually arrived. Has not arrived. M-I-A. <laughs> so immediately I kind of think, and you know, JD's actually great with this type of thing. And, you, you know, I could see JD's like, he hasn't arrived. Something's not yeah, making not sense. Not yet, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, he was last in Hootsprate. That was 7 o'clock. It wasn't late. Mm. So we immediately started moving. Okay. He hasn't arrived. So I jump in my car and I drive out towards the main access road. And I said to JD, I don't know, I said to Marianda, you do this. And JD, you do this. Get Duncan and a first aid kit and let's see if we can find this guy. Maybe he's just gotten Sleeping stuck on the road, or, side of the road. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Phoning the gate of the reserve to see if he's come through. I drive up towards the main tar road, the Argyle road, and I... Don't see any sign. When I'm coming back now towards the camp and radioing JD, then I find this vehicle track gone off the main access road, done a U, and then crossed over the main route into our camp on a very random dirt road and gone onto another farm. And immediately then I'm like, okay, JD, you and Duncan need to come. Now yep, I'm actually tracking this car. Yep. I don't know how long this story needs to be. <laughs> I'm now scooting behind the tracks of this car. I can see the thin tires of yeah. this little car. Mm-hmm. And I get on to Mufula. Now we're on Mufula. Yeah. So I'm already red alert. <laughs> yeah, I know. So and like I drive, I drive 10, 15 minutes, but fast and hard. 
Yeah. And I've come down into a drainage line. There's this car in the yes. drainage line stuck. So I stop on top. There's this car and then I can see logs and this car's properly stuck. There's a, fell, a shoe on top of the roof. That's right. So I immediately mm -hmm. like stop my yeah, car. It's yeah, even yeah. still running and I get down there. No guy. Aziko is no gone. Sierra. But shoe on top of the roof. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that's all I see yeah, from here. No, and then there's like a bag on the <laughs> side. The, uh, the windows are all closed oh, and the car's yeah, locked. Yeah, yeah. And there's footprints everywhere and the car's stuck. He's trying to get the car out. So there's yeah. like shoes underneath the tires. There's logs. There's branches. But it's a 1.4 Kia or something. It was a cocked little car. Yeah. yeah. I think it was like red. The yeah. bumper's like pulled Grunched off the back. Off, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure, but sure. So now I'm like, okay, JD, I found the, the, <laughs> the car, moment, yeah. but there's no human. Now we're probably looking at about 7 o'clock. JD and Duncan arrive and water and, 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 and um, Medical kit first and aid kit and the Land Cruiser. Now, his car, I've actually gone up trying to start tracking footprints. Yeah. In hindsight, in the middle of the night, he tried to get cell phone signal. So he'd walked a bit up out yeah. of the Rye Riverbed to try to get cell phone signal. At that stage, he had no shoes on. Then he'd come back. <laughs> then he'd gone again to go get signal. So then there's a track going that yeah. way. Then there's a pair of, a set of tracks with shoes on and they're going. Now we don't know Which what are we trying part. to look for yeah. here. And there's yeah. shoes underneath the tires. There's another shoe on the roof. <laughs> like we're literally not too sure what's going on. Obviously, mm. we're always thinking the worst. And as each five minutes goes by, you're starting to more think the worst. Yeah. More yeah. think, okay, he's, he's been, been eaten by a lion. Yeah. He's got totally lost. Sure. We're not going to find him. He's been trampled by an elephant. It's a bit hectic. He's, yeah. yeah. Um, then we're like, okay, we need to start notifying people, the landowner whose land we on. Really? I actually walk to the the closest camp to say, hey, we're on your farm. We, we're tracking a staff member. We can't find this guy. Um, the car was blocking, blocking the dry riverbed. So where we eventually saw the tracks going out, we couldn't get the car through. That's, that's we had to go around on another road because oh. we couldn't get through in the direction where his tracks were going because his car was stuck in the way. In Lekkerslip. Yes, so then JD is driving. Uh, Duncan's on the front and we are now tracking human tracks and we're going man luckily a lot of the time he was walking along roads but we're tracking and we're tracking we're tracking we're tracking human footprints he was wearing big Doc Martens and Duncan would go and then we'd go into the bush and we'd go <laughs> come back to Duncan to a, to, a, to a junction find his tracks the three of us man and but now you so pushing you think, your thumb hey? far buddy three or four k's Keep it, we okay. found him towards eight o'clock eh? really so I got stuck there nine o'clock at night Tried to get himself out, slept inside the car, got attacked by mosquitoes. Sun started coming up. <laughs> he thought he was very close to the camp. He was totally disoriented. He was nowhere near the camp. Nowhere near. When the sun close. came up, he started walking. Um, and he'd actually eventually got cell phone signal and got a message to Marianda, which in Afrikaans said, Eket. He wanted to say, Eket Sein Gekre, S-Y-N, which means I've got signal. Mm. Yeah. And autocorrect on his phone said, changed uh, S-Y-N to S-N-Y, snay. So the message said, Ek het snay gekry. So I've got, got a cut. cut. Yeah. So yeah. we thought he's now wounded. The message yeah. we'd got, the only message <laughs> the only we had message. now, at like 7 a.m. and Marianda's telling me this on the radio, is the <laughs> Sierra has dangerous. sent me a message saying, I've got a cut. Got yeah. A, now I'm like, now oh, panicking, man. No. Now we've got trouble. One, I'm like, okay, the oak's alive, but yeah, he's bleeding. The, he's got dra the drama's got worse. I actually wanted to say I've got signal. Anyway, he'd climbed a tree there was actually a guy who drove past in a bucky and he was like running towards the road waving and waving and this this gentleman came past and he didn't see him hey, sure. we then passed this gentleman on the road and like we're looking for a person have you seen anything he's like no so we actually then were like okay, okay well, cool he's, he's not, not down, down that, that area yeah. 
Yes, we're driving, we're tracking the tracks, come back. Now we're going back down that road. And it was JD. He just said, what's that in the road? What's that in the road? And there was Sierra, man. <laughs> the happiest he's ever been. No, and me also happy, man. Yeah, yeah, no, for were, sure. I'm sure you guys I've lost this human in the, in, the, in the game reserve, and I don't know what we're going to find. It's yep. nerve-wracking, eh? Oh, man, he was there. He was a bit white in the face. We gave he him some water. He was very bleak. He didn't have much to Same, say. Yeah, he probably didn't do very well It's a little bit well dirty. Uh, confused. Obviously, you know, JD and I said, okay, let's just give this guy some time to acclimatize before we bollock him. Before we give him a siding. It was crazy. We couldn't get the car out. No, the man. car was With the, the land cruiser trying to pull really? his car. No. Pulling well, the bumper like off a again. Like, oh, dude, the no, tires are this size. Bus in the sand. It was. That was a That was one of our first memories, mate. It got actually quite crazy in the end. The story continues. It's not for this podcast. Like, I literally don't talk about it. Yeah, it's cool Um, that you found him. The the next part of the story, two weeks later. But this was, I mean, yeah, so we lost and found. But I mean, how's that as an intro into the area? First night in the bush. Yeah. He slept in his car, stuck in the middle of nowhere with no comms. I'm pretty sure Sierra's stories got bigger and bigger (laughs) over the the wild with everyone with a bit of Branova in it, botches through him, yeah. Of course, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. It's like a fisherman's tale. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we man tracked the soak for three or four k's in the middle of the bush. Well, that's brilliant. Speed, eh? Props to you, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, that was a story, eh? Thank God we got him alive. <sighs> Thank goodness. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, jeez. <laughs> I've lost track. <laughs> well, that's one for the books for him, man. Um, one for you guys. Yeah, also. big time. I mean, maybe one memory or sighting that comes to mind out of the Classeri either of you guys or anything you want to say um you know i think for me we we're just to pick up where we were as we were talking about what the cliché means and all the rest of it a bit mm. earlier you know the one thing that's really kind of stood out for me over the years here is how well the cliché team under its management and leadership has done with guys like colin rolls and the team absolutely and, you know, yeah uh, and tremendously professional and and good men and good women and and top teams and how as always there mm. you know even amongst the landers and stuff the cooperation and the work that's taken place particularly in things in terms of anti-poaching for example in the apu work and follow-ups within work in terms of conservation so i have a deep respect and an abiding respect for uh, colin's teams um, and the shareholders and landowners of the of the region the area the reserve itself yeah very you nice. and you think about if you just go read a bit of the history of the classeri and these other reserves on the western fringe classeri has been a, a very leading uh, element in in many of those areas you understand so i big up to them you know yeah absolutely it's got such a history and you know, as you said, the greatest thing is just creating this another 50,000 hectares, over 100,000 acres of protected natural habitat yeah. for ecosystems to, to thrive. Yeah. Um, it's a privilege to be here, and it's the most 100%. magic place. You know, we sit here this morning. I think I might have heard an airplane, but other than maybe. But, I mean, this, you know, there is no unnatural sound. We're literally in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, just letting nature revive our souls. Eh? Mm. Um Pretty much, eh? Yeah. yeah. No, it's a beautiful spot in the world, this, eh? It really is. And offers us so much freedom as guides, you know, to do our thing and to keep things interesting. Um, and we'll continue our story this weekend. Troy, JD, and, and myself, um, the dream team, they call us. <laughs> 
I don't know blonde locks like you in your youth, JD. That was a long oh, time hey? back, senor papi. I but I love you both, eh? TC <laughs> and no, JD, you know, we come back a long yeah, way. I know, my boy. Um, yeah. Awesome to have a conversation. We're going to go make some more memories today. And um, yeah, Egyptian jibber. goose. Yeah. <laughs> what a privilege, you know, to sit under Big Jack and have a conversation. I appreciate your time. Um, oh, yeah, and you. all the best, you know, with Natural Earth Safaris. Go check them out on Instagram. They've got a beautiful little camp next door to us called mm. Tuska's Camp. Fantastic, catered or self-catered. Amazing view from there. I mean, we had my wife's 40th birthday there. It's a, it's a special place. Check out TC on uh, on Instagram. TC Zambezi. Correct. And Bush Explorations Africa. John Dixon, you know, fantastic man. Uh, got a lot of time for everybody, a huge amount of experience in the safari industry, huge amount, decades. Go check it out, Bush Explorations Africa. So thanks so much, guys. And, uh, have a wonderful day. You can find these guys online via their social media handles, linked in this podcast description. Go ahead and give them a follow. Share some love and support what they are doing. Go check it out. Um, I hope you've enjoyed our latest podcast series. We love to hear feedback, questions, who you'd like to appear. And... Um, if you give us a thumbs up, we'll see you for season three. Shirts off. No hold bod. Here we go. <laughs> bye bye Thank from you, Tulela, bro. Big Jack. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>Thank you for joining us. You can find today's guests online via their social media handles linked in this podcast description. Go ahead and give them a follow, share some love, and show some support for what they are doing. We welcome your questions and comments and encourage you to let us know what you're thinking. Who do you want to meet around our campfire and what burning questions do you have for these bush legends? Find us on social media via the links in the description and tune in to watch our podcast recordings from around the campfire on our YouTube playlist. Yeah, they knock a glass over, they don't sit on, it's awesome. Ha, ha, ha.